This is the last of the series that we've uh, been exploring together, the book of James. What an amazing, practical little book out of the New Testament. It's just power-packed, and I'm really happy to have uh, one of the close friends of our church community, uh, a pastor, who used, a man who used to pastor here in the city, Jeff Louie. As you know, some of you know him now. He's kind of just uh, an extended part of our church, but um, he, he's a professor at Western Seminary now, and he made a transition. But we've grown to love him and really appreciate the way that he sometimes can take very complex things and uh, drive them home in ways that we can really put our arms around. So um, I think that we're going to be blessed as he puts the, the finishing touches on this series that we've sat with through the summer. And then, of course, next week, all of our services... And both campuses were converging. So there's no Saturday night. There's no Lake Merced. There's none of the three. We're going to all be at the Warfield. The doors open at 10. And um, we're going to probably, some of us, when is it ending? We're going to be trying to end it around, around 12 o'clock. So for those of you who are making your plans, just be aware of that. Also, um, there is not going to be uh, any of our normal child care options. What we, we are not going to be having our children's ministry or child care. What we're going to be encouraging everyone to do, we've got a special family section that we've set aside where the families and the children can all be together. And uh, it's big enough for us to do that. So just kind of mark that in as well. And then also, uh, one of the other issues that have really, you know, people have been inquiring about is the parking issues. And again, I just want everybody to be aware, a lot of us are going to be uh, taking... BART or Muni, you can see the two stops there that are located you know, at Powell and Civic Center. There are also a number of parking garages. Now, you have to pay for your own parking, so the, the neighborhood is mellower in the morning, so just kind of be aware that it'll pick up the later it goes on. So the earlier you can get the parking, the better it is. And then, um, you know, for us personally, this is like one of the most special and uh, services we've ever done. Uh, I've never done a service like this. I'm, I'm already kind of both excited and anxious all at once about what we're celebrating. We've got a lot of special things that we're planning to do. It's one of those, for, honestly, for me, it's like a once-in-a-lifetime service. So I really want to encourage everyone to, to you know, be there with your... And you know what? If you have people that you care about that are important to you, that have had some time, you know, that you, they've known about your love for your church community, this is a great service to bring people to as well, just because it's a celebration. So, hey, before, you know, Jeff comes up, um, what I'd like you to do is help me out and turn to one, if you're really courageous, two or three people and tell them, I will see you at the Warfield. Come on, go ahead and do that. <laughs> Brother, your mic. Yes. Well, hopefully I will see you at the Warfield too, you know. Uh, I have it uh, on my calendar and I reminded my wife and so I think we're, we're heading out there, you know. Um, so it's going to be an exciting thing, you know, because I'm thinking the next one's 75, and, you know, that's a little, I don't know if I'm going to be here. I'm going to be in Florida, you know, retiring, you know, in a leisure suit. That's what I'm going to be in, you know. Uh, but it's an exciting thing. I really love Terry. I lived the Cornerstone been here for many years. I don't know how many years I've been here. But uh, one of the reasons why I love Terry and, and the church here is, uh, is, is, is they have been here for, as it's a 60 years, but Terry has been here for over 20 years. And there's a special um, respect and, and love uh, because if you've ministered in a place for 20 years, you, you, you've seen a lot of things and you've had to navigate and you have to be very resilient in ministry. Uh, in ministry and in life and in any relationship that endures, you have to really get up and you have to, you know, uh, really um, uh, seek, put your eyes upon Christ to continue. And so uh, I will see you in the celebration uh, next week. 
Uh, it's very special to be here, uh, besides being the uh, sermon or the, 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 the preacher before the anniversary worship. It's also special because I get to end the series on James, you see. And so I've decided that I would cover the whole book of James. <laughs> I actually have a passage from every book to summarize, and it's like I've never done this before. You know, I, when I was thinking about this, I'm crazy. You know, I'm crazy. But you know, and uh, that's the that's the kind of the, the way I am sometimes. I do it because it's there. Okay, so when I get right to it, I decided I would entitle the sermon with the longest title I have ever put uh, on a bulletin, and it's dealing with suffering in your life with others and through Christ. So basically, that's it. I could, that's the end of my sermon. I can go home, okay? <laughs> but this is really important because James is a beautiful book with a lot of practical things in it. But there is actually one theme that weaves and connects all the little themes and all the practical themes from the first chapter to the last one, which is the fifth chapter. And that theme is suffering and the different aspects of suffering and how, as a follower of Jesus Christ, our perspective of suffering and of when life uh, brings a change that was unexpected and undesired, uh, how we as followers of God in faith and trust uh, deal with it. And it's very, very important because it, is, it will always come in life. So we're going to go right ahead because I have a lot to cover, okay? And so we're going to go with point one right away. And what I do is I'm going to command the screen to give us point one right now and say, suffering can be good if we realize that is it a process to develop us. Now, there's going to be a passage that comes up, and there's going to be a passage for every major point that I bring up, and there'll be seven of them. This one's in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. It goes like this. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, this is basically the passage that introduces the whole book of James. Now, to help you uh, understand, at least helps me understand and illustrate, I always like to update uh, Cornerstone with uh, the latest uh, travels in my life, accomplishments. You know, if I win an Academy Award, I'll let you know first, you know, <laughs> things like that, because it's a, it's a way to help you understand that our faith is really tied with our life. And you just can't have like two different lives, you know, our faith life. And so I always like to do this. So I, I brought something with me. And um, it's really nice. I think I'm going to be a hip-hop star. <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 I'm going to put this on because this is something I got last week. Okay? I'm going to get some gold teeth, uh, you know, uh, what they call it, a grill uh, next week. But I'm not, but this is what it says. 2013 Half Marathon Disneyland. This is the finisher's medal I got last week, actually during Labor Day. I did 13.1 miles, okay? And with my wife and uh, with her, some of her uh, family, other family in LA and her friends. Now I gotta tell you that I've done about four half marathons in my lifetime, okay? Each one getting longer to complete, 
okay? Just to tell you, as you age, you know, you don't get younger, you know, you get, you get older and it gets just a little more difficult. This one was by far the most difficult. How difficult was this was when I finished the race, I told, my, when I saw my wife, because she had finished way ahead of me, you know, and I was like looking for me, you know, the, like, like the vendors are already packing up, you know? It's like, uh, you know, there's no more bananas to eat anymore because everyone ate them, you know? It's just like the chipmunks are, are milling over the scraps, you know? I told my wife, I am never going to run this race again. And when, you know, it's like, I just thought, I said, I just, if I just, just slap me in the face, tell me that you never, this was the roughest race I'd ever run. Now, what makes it difficult is that I'm getting old, you know? I'm, I'm 57, if you don't know. You see, I'm trying to dress younger to, you know, and then things like that, but <laughs> I'm 57, okay. And I have an autoimmune disorder. So I got like, it's, I'm like 95% healed in a remission, but uh, the, the remnants of uh, arthritis is still in my joint. So I got all these excuses, you know? Uh, but what made it really difficult was the heat. I couldn't believe how hot it was in Anaheim last week. We started in the corrals at 5.30 a.m. Okay, that's a little early, right? You don't get any sunlight, it's, it's dark, even in Southern California. 5.30, it's 79 degrees. Okay, I don't know you. For, for Californians, when it hits 72, it's sort of like global warming has come. We're all going to melt, you know, because it's like when it hits the 70s, oh, wow, you know, what is this? You know, because that's, that's, that's it's always cool, it's foggy, the natural fog, air conditioning comes in, you know, that's the way it is. By, stop, by the time I reached the beginning line, because in Disneyland, everyone stops for pictures with Mickey and Minnie and everything like that, you know? Uh, it's, it's 40, 45 minutes, so it's like 6.15, you know? Almost 6.30 when I'm actually at the start line. By the time I'm finished, it's way over three hours, it's about 90 degrees. Oh, man, this is, this is brutal, man. 13 and a half miles. At mile eight, my leg starts cramping. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like, oh boy. I was like, okay, let me, let's, let's just sort of like, you know, uh, you know, wiggle it out, you know? And it's like, I, I couldn't get out. So I'm like walking the rest of, 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 of the last third of the race, you know? Then it was so hot. I have this uh, hand water bottle that I bring, and then you drink water every like a mile or something, they give you water. I was calculating how much water I drank. I drank three liters of water in uh, over like three, I, I, I'll tell you that I, I ran in 3.30, you know, that's like really slow, you know. Uh, three and a half, uh, 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 three liters was a gallon and a half water. I tell you, I, I was, it was a miracle because who can drink a gallon and a half of water in three and a half hours and not have to go to the bathroom? It's like, it was, it was a miracle from God, you know? It's like, how does that work? You know, you try it, you know, you can like, you know, you just, you don't want it, you, you'll explode on the inside. It's because I perspired that much. <laughs> That's basically it. It's like I was dying. my feet hurt after the race. I threw away the shoes. I'm never going to run in these shoes. These are terrible shoes and things like that. It was, it was terrible. It's a, it a funny story, but it happened last week. And uh, all through that day, I was talking to uh, my brother-in-law, and I said, I'm never going to run this race again. It's the worst race ever. It's like so hot, I can't take it. You know, it's like you're Southern California, you like the heat. I just don't like the heat, you know. The next day, I told my wife, 
well, if I run the race again. <laughs> and then on Tuesday, I said, when I run the race again, and then at the end of the week, I said, I'm gonna run the race again next year. Now, what's getting into me? Now, when you're doing this, it's like, it's crazy. What am I enduring? But in the long run, I, you, you think, and it says, you know, it's been very good for me, actually. Because if it thinks that, if I think that this running and life is all about being number one and winning and beating everybody, look, I'm, I, it's not gonna work out, you know? I don't think the Kenyans have any fear that I'm gonna beat them <laughs> at the finish line in the last second by bringing my chest and breaking the, breaking the, you know, whatever the line. It's not gonna happen. Because the purpose of running, and the, for me, and the purpose of life and living for Christ and development is not that you will be number one. Christ is number one. That's the thing that you must understand. Christ is number one, and he won it for us. Our benefit is we get to and be involved, and we don't have to win, neither will we win. But when you are living in Christ, you will realize that in your life there is a development and there is a benefit and there is a gain in life. I want to tell you about the gain in running. I don't know if it helps on my joints, but uh, uh, I used to have a borderline very high blood pressure. It's like 130 over 90, that type of thing. You know, doctors, well, you know, a little bit more, a little off five more points. Either way, we're going to have to put you on medication, right? With my running, and I don't run really fast, you know? I'm like 110, uh, 75 now, you know, which is really good, you know? And I just like, there's a lot of really good benefits to it. And it's like, but it's like the worst thing to endure. But if I see running as the problems that exist while I'm running, I'll never see the benefits of it. Because the benefits of running are always long term. It is not of the moment. Of the moment, I can't take it. I swear that I will never do it again. What in the world that I do? And I even paid $195 to be tortured to get this medal that you probably get for $2. Exane to do that. But it's in the long run. And you must understand that in life, with all the turns and the twists that you don't expect, it's a process, a process of God to change you because all of us need this perspective in life because when the thing occurs in our lives, we usually see, look at the event and not in the long term of things. I command point two to arise on your screen now. And it goes like this. Suffering can be good if we realize that God provides us wisdom to deal with it. And the passage that comes is uh, also in the first chapter of James, verses 5 to 8. I'll just probably read a few verses, not the whole thing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously, without reproach, and it will be given to him, but he must ask in faith without doubting. Let's just kind of end it there. Now, this is a very odd verse, actually. Of all the verses that are tied with prayer and of asking God, this is the one, when I read it, I said, man, this, this, this has the greatest guarantee ever. It's one of those like infomercial type things. This is money back guarantee. We'll, get, we'll double them. You, you, you'll guarantee that you will get wisdom. This is the best, you know, and then the infomercial, they, they, you know, they're all faking, you know. They just want you to buy you the thing, you know. But, but for, for God, this is an incredible offer. 
It's like even getting that extra set of steak knives. It's, it's like, this is, this is incredible. I guarantee, because God gives generously. Now, oftentimes, we, we misunderstand this verse. And we think, oh, wow, what a great deal prayer is, you know. Okay, here's my wish list. BMW doesn't have to be the 7 Series, you know. The 3 Series is good enough, you know. Uh, Escalade, spinner wheels are nice, you know. Uh, put that in, you know. And you put all the things you want. He says, well, I believe, I believe, I believe, you know. I, oh, you know. And it, but, but the thing is, the context of this believing and asking of God who gives generously is not about things. It is about wisdom. And it's, just, it's very important to realize that. It is not about material gain. It is about wisdom of how you see life coming and how you respond in life. It's an internal change. And this is the huge guarantee that God gives to us, that in this process of suffering, if you believe in the process and you desire... There is this guarantee that God gives to you that says, look, if there's one thing that I will give to you in your earthly life, if you desire, is that you will gain wisdom and insight not to protect you or to stop the turns and twists of life from coming upon you, but you will gain wisdom about things like why does it happen? How am I, what am I to learn from this? How am I to grow? And it's a strange guarantee, for it is an inward perspective that God is going to give to us. Now, we're going to continue with the various points, and we got to go in a pretty good pace and a pretty good speed. So I command... Uh, Proposition three to come up. Suffering can be good if we look beyond ourselves to care for the suffering of others. Now, what makes James a little bit interesting is that it has a many, many practical uh, topics that you can read about and apply to your life. But the sub-themes of these other themes is always revolving around suffering. It is a strange way that James writes and, and, uh, and composes the book. I'm going to read the passage, and the passage is not going to go on your screen, but it's in your bulletin or in your program. And it's that first one. It's a rather long one. James chapter 1, 27, verses 2 to 7. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I might read like three verses. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes and you space you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and there and become judges with evil motives? Now, this is very surprising because I always, I always think about if I had the ability to write the Bible, I would never write it this way. Because 
I've been a pastor for a long time. People come and because they have issues that they need the wisdom for or, or they, they, they have, uh, some, need some understanding because they have trouble in their life and, and uh, they're a very uncomfortable situation. So as a pastor, what I often do is I would, I would care for them and I would pray for them. It's a normal response that all of us would do for people. What James does is very, very unusual. For he starts with the theme of suffering. He starts second with the theme of the guarantee that you will learn. But the next point he brings up has really nothing to do with the alleviation of the suffering that you are dealing with. It has to do with how you interact with other people in your life who are suffering. Because when you realize this, in the middle of the book of James, the writer is trying to give us a full makeover and transformation of how a believer deals with suffering, not only in your own life, but how you deal with suffering in people in general. It's a full makeover. And when you realize that as you grow in Christ and all the twists of turns are coming into your life, it is not merely the alleviation of the suffering or of the distress of all the burden that God will deal with you in your life. But he is molding you into a type of being that begins to be very sensitive and have compassion to people who are suffering around you. We want wisdom of how to deal with suffering. God tells us that wisdom will mature to the point where you will understand and you will have compassion for those who are suffering around you. In this verse, the context was of widows and orphans in their distress. Then he talks about people in poverty, perpetual poverty, and um, who come to your uh, worship service that you have to care for these people and treat them with respect. You see, too often when we deal with suffering, and things that we do not expect. I'll tell you this. We circle the wagons and we cave in. And we have a bunker mentality. The whole world revolves around me. I'll tell you that. Autoimmune hit me four years ago. That's exactly what I did. It's the natural knee-jerk reaction. Who's going to take care of me, you know? That is the natural reaction. I'm not saying you don't have that reaction. You can't fight it. That's the reaction. You're in pain, man. You're going to go, ow, owie, owie. You know, look, you know, you know that's, that's the truth. But what I'm telling you, that as you deal with the inward pain that will come into your life, that is natural. Be open to God and his word and his spirit and the teaching of Christ to allow that personal suffering to make you in tune with the suffering of people around you so you realize, one, you are not alone, Two, that the suffering has a purpose to make you a more compassionate person to people around you. That is very, very important. I know with what I deal with in my life, it was very chronic, you know. Uh, you know, when it first hit, there's no way I could, you know, do, really function very well. I had to sleep like uh, 12, uh, uh, 16 hours a day, you know. It was just really bad for, for a number of years. But having come out of it, I'm much more of a compassionate person. Because I know when people suffer, how they, what, what they go through. Um, on Thursday, I had a 
coffee appointment with a pastor, a former student of mine, and he was telling me how uh, just a month earlier he, he has a genetic, there's something in his genes that um, causes an a, 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 a autoimmune flare. His brother has the same gene. I knew exactly how he was feeling. And, and so even though we're talking about ministry, the first 45 minutes was talking about, was comforting him about his travail. And that sensitivity comes because I, I, I know what he feels like. I know what he's enduring. On Friday, I met with some Indian pastors in the, in the South Bay. We're talking about ministry. So we, made at, we ate at, uh, at a restaurant, and, 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 and one of my former students who's in, who's in, who, who, who uh, helps out at this church uh, shared with me about his wife who uh, is uh, dealing with, auto, with uh, rheumatoid arthritis. First thing I talked to him about is not about ministry, about like theology or Bible. I'm saying, well, you know, we were talking about his wife. I'm caring for him because suffering is real. And you have to care for people. And you have to allow God to transform you into a more compassionate person. And usually it comes when you yourself endure it. And you keep your faith and sight upon God. You can be such a blessing to other people. That is how it works. Because if you try to be compassionate, but you never went through it, oh, people say, you don't know what you talk about. You don't even, you know, you, 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 yeah. you could say a good thing because you never had to go through it. You see, there's a degree of street cred you have, okay? I got all the hip language, the bling and everything, you know? You know, the street cred you have, you know, when you go through it. And you got to remember that. And so it's a positive thing. It's a very, very positive thing. But it doesn't come naturally and it doesn't come automatically. You have to understand the process. And God guarantees, if you understand the process and you do that, it'll, it will be. And this is how God molds. I command point four to come up. Come on up. Make sure we don't cause others to suffer through our words. Now, again, I'm going through every chapter of the book of James, so I'm not pulling, like, you know, special hidden verses, you know, from it. It's the whole, the whole, the whole, uh, whole book. James 3, we're in chapter 3 now, verse 2 to 6. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, we... If we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder whenever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members so that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Now again, this is very surprising for it is not talking about the alleviation of suffering it is talking about the total change and the makeover that occurs in someone who desires to follow Christ and to have a different worldview on what suffering is. Because this, this fourth point is about 
clearly, you, as you suffer, you have to do a gut check to make sure that you are not also one who is causing the suffering of others. And in this situation, he is clearly talking about verbal abuse and about you saying things, and it's a free country. It's such a free country, it could hurt people to the, to the core because it's so free. Words can be more damaging than physical punishment or as damaging. I wouldn't say more physical punishment is very damaging, but verbal. You know, it leaves no scars. And sometimes you could say, well, look, you know, I, I hold restraints. So I'll just batter you with my words. James is writing, as you understand this whole concept of suffering, instead of just looking inward and looking at, oh, you know, oh, I'm dealing with all this stuff in my life that I wish God would remove, you have to put a mirror in front of yourself to see whether you are dishing out as much suffering to people around you through your words. And, you know, this is, you know, I've been married for close to 40 years, you know. Close to 40, not yet 40. <sighs> There's a truth I know that the closer people around you, and they're usually family, the possibility of more negative words and bluntness comes into play. Just know that. There's always that phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. It's just the way it is because we let down our guard. You do it at work, get fired, you know? So you don't do it at work. You do it at home. That's the way it is. You know, you do it at home. You always let out steam. It's just the kind of way it is, you know? And James says, look, you want to deal with suffering? Let's deal in its totality. Not only what you are enduring, but what you are dishing out. Because it is a whole makeover. You must see whether you are damaging people around you. And you have to correct those areas. Because it's not, suffering is all about you. It is about you and how you relate to everyone in this world and people who are suffering, people that are close to you that, that you hurt too. Number five, make sure we don't cause our own suffering by being selfish and greedy. The passage is in your program, James 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Another gut check. Sometimes the suffering is self-inflicted because of the values that we have. And God realizes and he knows that the values we have are not coherent, are not connected to the values he wants for your lives. And we cause more harm and damage to our psyche and our soul and our spirit because of the things we want and the things we think we deserve. One of the great hurts in life that probably as Americans or Northern Californians will ever endure is when the dream that you had as number one in your life 
you realize you're never going to get it. That dream that you had when you were growing up and you realize you're never going to get it, and sometimes it's a job, sometimes it's a spouse, sometimes it's a girlfriend, sometimes it's, a, sometimes it's health, sometimes it's relationship, whatever it is, that, when you come to the realization that that dream's never going to be, the normative response is that we are going to be crushed because we have lived our lives yeah, we go to church, and we worship God, and, you know, we believe in God, we believe in Jesus, but that dream is like the hardest thing to let go. And when that thing is taken away, whatever it was, because everyone has a different dream, we are crushed. That's a terrible thing. And what James is saying, sometimes as you deal with suffering, the alleviation of that suffering is to realize the ability to let go of that because there's a greater calling and a greater purpose in your life that Christ is trying to do in us. It's very, very important, this thing about why we do things and the dream. Point number six comes to the screen. Suffering can be good if it teaches us to pin our ultimate hope and joy to eternity with Christ. And the passage that corresponds to this point, James chapter 5, 7 and 8, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets to the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Patience, that what we get in victory is in part when the fullness comes with Christ. So ultimately, what dealing with suffering and dealing with distress and duress, if it has its way of God molding us, causes us to more pin our hopes to the fullness of redemption and restoration that Christ will bring to us in life rather than in this life. And I guarantee a calmness and a peace that transcends understanding will begin to guard your hearts and minds. The final point, number seven. Suffering can be good if it drives us to prayer. Now, this is a very interesting one because in, it's in your program, James 5, 13 and 14. If anyone among you is suffering, then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. If anyone among you is sick, then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him. Now, what's interesting about this is that if I was constructing the book of James, I would have put this as the answer. You're suffering, you pray, have people pray for you. It's talking about private and corporate prayer, what the church would be. Because that is the ultimate how God will help alleviate the suffering in our lives, to have it removed. We think the alleviation of suffering is to have it removed. But in the mind of God, this passage, which is really dealing with prayer and the alleviation of suffering, is cast at the end, with the middle being the sweet spot. That as believers, too often we want the alleviation of the pain and suffering, which God will deal with in prayer. 
and we miss out on the fact that he is trying to make us over entirely from inside out, how we deal with people with chronic suffering, how we dish out suffering amongst people in our own lives, how our values can increase the suffering because of the agony of things that we hold so dear. They're almost like idols in our lives to the lack of patience. You see, we think that the goal of suffering as a believer is to have God remove it. I'm not saying that he will not remove suffering. What I am saying in a greater truth is that the goal of suffering is not the suffering itself and the removal of that. The goal of suffering is for us to have our minds and spirits and souls and brains stretched so that we see beyond ourselves and we begin to look deep within our souls and who we care for and who we love and how we treat people and what we hold there in our lives to allow God to have a total makeover in us. And it's a wonderful thing. It is how God works to change us. I'm going to end in a short prayer, but it will not be the end of the service for there will be the receiving and offerings and a final song, and Pastor Terry will give a fine benediction. But let me give a short prayer. Heavenly Father, may you grace these people with your love. Stretch us in ways that we do not understand. Put us within your will and within your love. Receive this offering that you may further it for ministries use in San Francisco. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.